been praying for me. If you've known, I've uh, been struggling with my voice a little bit, coughing, only when I want to sleep and only when I want to speak. So that doesn't help me out too much. <clears throat> but I feel fine. I'm, I'm not sick. Just this lingering cough that many people have <clears throat> that can't seem to get rid of. But we're going to be finishing this John chapter 13, our study. As I was thinking of this, and I was just thinking now of my minor cough, and considering how we're easy to complain, or how I could be very easy to complain, I think of John MacArthur. Um, 83 years old, recently had, I, th- I think it was like five stints, his heart, supposed to take several months off, um, and then fell, hit his head, broke, fractured his wrist, and the shepherd conference was there, and he didn't make the first day, but he preached um, the, the last evening. 83-year-old man with a bruise on his head and a broken wrist after Surgery. I just say that to say, wow, look at his age, what he can do. And here I am with a cough. <clears throat> so, nevertheless, please pray for me. I'm uh, definitely no John MacArthur, just a man here as well as he is. But nevertheless, I, I would like to have my voice during this service. And uh, so please continue to pray as we go along here. John chapter 13. Verse 36 through 38 is where we are, where Simon Peter says to the Lord, he says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Again, I will ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, I pray you would help me indeed to um, preach your word for the glory of Jesus Christ, for the good of your people. Lord, pray you give us ears to hear, hearts pliable to change. Help my voice this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. So as we've come to the end of our study in John Uh, chapter 13, it concludes with a warning uh, from Jesus to Peter that Peter would deny him. And as I was thinking through this, I was thinking, what would Peter look like this day? Um, what what, What would he look like? And I thought about it and I said, if you want to know what Peter looks like, look in the mirror, or I'll look in the mirror, and we'll see here what Peter looks like or the potential for uh, being like Peter. We spent time recently grasping the fact that Judas betrayed Jesus. Here we have two men, two disciples, been with Jesus for three years. Uh, Judas and Peter both failed Christ. Both left him, did not stand by Christ in an hour of turmoil. In an hour of need. The betrayal by Judas was deliberate, calculating, 
coming from a depraved, callous heart. Whereas the denial by Peter was a result of trusting in himself rather than trusting in Christ. Thinking he was strong, although he was very weak. So we see a first, a preoccupied presumption. A preoccupied presumption. Jesus had just given some instruction. And then he also said, I'm going, and we're, I'm going, you cannot come at this time. Peter said to him, after Jesus gave instructions on different things, Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? Uh, just as Jesus says, I tell you to love one another, just as Jesus had loved them. Peter was preoccupied, however, with where the Lord was going. Peter is distracted with the unknown. He's distracted with where in the world is Jesus going? He told them where he was going, but they weren't uh, grasping it completely. And it seems there, if we were to look through this, as we've studied this out, that, that Peter interrupts Jesus as Jesus was teaching. Jesus says, verse 33, where I'm going, you cannot come. Verse 34, I tell you to love one another just as I have loved you. Verse 35, by this, all will know you are my disciples. And then in chapter 14, verse 1, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe God, believe also in me. I go prepare a place for you. And in the middle of all this, Peter asks Jesus, where are you going? Why can't I follow you? Why can't I go with you now? I'll lay down my life for you. So in the midst of biblical teaching, what the disciples needed to know, Peter is preoccupied with the unknown. And there's some great application for us in this. There is danger of neglecting the plain, albeit simple, means that God provides for us in order for us to obey and to nurture our walks with Jesus Christ. Exchanging it for uh, speculations of the what if. Exchanging it for fleshly speculations, experiences, or obsessions of the what ifs. And the what ifs coming. Or the what may happen. Instead of biblical preaching, fervent prayer, local church commitment, and biblical evangelism, there is speculations about Jesus, entertainment about Jesus, and TV evangelists focusing on the false views and obsessions with end times, and obsessions with what may come. Gordon Kitty, in his commentary, points out how Peter can be like many of us, saying, speculation about prophetic predictions seems much more exciting than just living a quiet, upright life, ordinary day after ordinary day. Knowledge of Jesus' plans were more inviting and exciting to Peter than obedience to his commands. Peter does not grasp yet where Jesus is going and what it entails. But verse 37 clues us in and that he had some hint that danger would be involved. Verse 37 
I will lay down my life for you. He must have been thinking that there was some danger involved. But we'll see Jesus said something similar um, before this. Where I go, Jesus says, you cannot follow me now, but will follow later. The first part of Jesus' response, straightforward. Peter could not follow Jesus at that time because Jesus was going to the cross alone. There are times in our lives when we have to face situations. Is there not as by way of application? We have to face things alone. No one can stand with us. People can advise us. There are certain things in our life that we just have to do alone. God is with us. Christians praying for us. At times there is a a struggle where we have to walk through. Although they are with us and God is with us, we have to make decisions on our own. We will all stand before God on our own. Visiting my father's grave for the first time in New London, Connecticut was something, as an adult, I had to do by myself. Something I had to face on my own. And that was instrumental in God saving my soul not that long afterwards. When we look at Luke's gospel, we find that they left the supper together, all together, into a dangerous situation. Then to the Garden of Gethsemane, as the disciples followed him there, yet they slept when they should have been praying. But Jesus went to the cross alone. No one could follow him there, because he alone is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He alone would be sacrificed for sinners. Only one could stand in our place. Only one became sin who knew no sin. Only one could conquer death, bear our sins, absorb God's wrath, and die and be raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So Jesus says, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will, second part, you will follow me later, Peter. Well, why not now? Well, it was the time of Jesus' departure, not Peter's departure. Peter would follow later into heaven. As Jesus says, I will go prepare a place for you. And in chapter 14, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Peter would also follow Jesus as he would follow him to heaven. He would also follow Jesus uh, after he was restored. In chapter 21, Jesus says to him, after his Jesus' resurrection, <clears throat> chapter 21, verse 15 through 17, I'll just set this out. Now we'll be turning back to chapter 21. By the way, we're going to be in all Gospels this morning. So pay attention if you would and get ready to move through the text as we go along. But in chapter 21, 
verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend to my lambs. He said again to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grew old, you will stretch. When you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now he said this, signifying but what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So Peter would indeed follow Jesus after he was restored. And Peter would be used by God tremendously, beginning with the preaching in Jerusalem. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter would pen the the epistles, 1 Peter and 2 Peter as well. And he would follow Jesus into in death, in the likeness similar in his death. Church tradition has it that he was crucified under Nero in Rome as Christians were being persecuted. It is said that he was crucified upside down because he refused to be crucified like his Lord. And Peter knew that his day was coming in when he was writing 1 Peter and 2 Peter, I'll just read this for you. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, Therefore I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which was present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you'll be able to call these things to mind. So indeed, Peter would follow the Lord to the death in the likeness of his death by execution. But Peter was not prepared to follow Jesus as he ought to. His failure and denial of Christ would have to take place first to teach him many things about Christ and many things about himself. We will see that Peter, although he would fail Christ, he would be restored by Christ because he belonged to Christ. Remember uh, who were the first converts that are recorded in the Gospel of John. Andrew, his brother Simon Peter. When they heard Jesus speak, they followed him. They knew Christ. Peter at that time, at this time, knew Jesus Christ. He belonged to him. He was a saved individual. Jesus says in John 6, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. 
For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. So Peter, who knew Christ, would deny Christ, but would be restored by Christ. Judas, who did not know Christ, denied Christ, would not be restored by Christ, was not repentant. He was not a true disciple of Jesus Christ. So as Peter's focus was where Jesus was going, not what Jesus was teaching, we see secondly, he was impatient and impetuous. Impatient and impetuous. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. First thing to take note of is the impatience here. The Lord said, not at this time. Peter says, why not? Why not now? The Lord says, wait. Peter, impatient, says, now. I'll follow you right now. Where are you going? In the Greek, Jesus uses a word to express, um, not at this time. Well, it'll happen You will follow, but not at this time. Whereas a different word is used for Peter's expression, right now. He wants to be where Jesus is going, understandably so. The expression, though, right now. I'm going where you're going. You said, I can't go right now. I'm going anyway. As I was thinking through this, it reminds me... um, of Ruth and Naomi. However, Ruth had a different disposition about her when she said, where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. No doubt Peter was devoted, but he is impatient, and he is overconfident, and he is self-reliant. Physical danger of having to go toe-to-toe with Individuals did not seem necessarily to bother Peter at this time. Thomas said something similar early on in chapter 11. Let us go and die with him. So they knew that danger was going to be there. But as Leon Morris says, the pride of his discipleship was hurt. And yet we know what the Proverbs says about pride. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Similar words as in John chapter 10, verse 11, where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Peter says, I will lay down my life for you. So if we look at the other accounts, we get a complete picture of Peter's mindset. Let's first start in Matthew 26. Matthew 26. And you're going to want to Uh, Keep your finger there or put a bookmark there, something there, because we're going to be coming back to to that again. Matthew 26, and then we're going to go to Mark 14. Matthew 26, verse 30 through 35. We want to get what Peter his mindset, what he says, and his influence on the others as well. 
chapter 26, verse 30. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing too. Now, if I have to go, I will, I, if I have to die, I will die with you. All may fall away. All may be offended at you, Jesus, but not me. Emphatic double negative here. I will never, no way, certainly not deny you. Look at Mark chapter 14. <clears throat> Mark chapter 14. <clears throat> Verse 28. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee, says the Lord. Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But, but Peter kept saying, insistently, not casually here, insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they were all saying the same thing also. Peter was saying it. They said, well, I'm saying it too. I'll, I'll die with you as well. I will never deny you. And Peter saying, if all of them deny you, even if they do, I will never deny you. Vehemently, denial. I will not deny you. The others said the same thing. Yeah, me neither. They chimed in. <clears throat> they all said that it was an absolute impossibility for them to deny Jesus Christ. Go back to 26 of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 47. <clears throat> the betrayer was at hand at this point. Judas was approaching he was stepping up. Verse 47, while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now whom he was betraying him gave the sign saying, whoever I kiss, he's the one, seize him. Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, hail rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who was there with Jesus reached out and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. We do not think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he who at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? 
Now then, how then will the scripture be fulfilled, which says it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all of this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. All who said, I will never deny you, left him. They fled. Peter is the one who drew the sword, as John tells us in chapter 18. When the large crowd came, when the multitudes came, they fled. They left him. That's an application for us too. Will we stand firm when the multitudes come? Peter was not ready to lay down his life. He was ready to face death with the sword. He was ready to cut someone. He did cut someone. Yet Jesus was going to lay down his life for him in a matter of hours. Jesus answers as we go back to John 13. Will you lay down your life for me? Will you lay down your life for me? There's irony here. Peter's alleged preparedness to die for Jesus is not quite what he thinks it would be. Jesus throws out a rhetorical question here. Irony here with these words. Who is really laying down his life for whom? Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Judas, who was not a true convert, betrayed Jesus. All the other true disciples left Jesus. Peter, a true disciple, denied him publicly. What is the difference between Judas and the rest of his disciples? What is the difference between Judas and Peter? Fallen, but not forsaken, nor forgotten. Fallen, but not forsaken, nor forgotten. Peter would fall, and he would fall hard. When I said to you at the get-go, you want to see what Peter looks like, look in the mirror. If you have not been paying attention, now is the time. Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times, says the Lord. Truly, truly. Intro for a profound, emphatic statement coming. There is no casual talk here. Will not. This double negative. Never, no way. A rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. A lot can be said here, has been said here about the rooster and the number of times he crowed and when he crowed. I'm just going to give a quick synopsis of this from William Hendrickson. Rooster crowing served as a time indication. Mark chapter 13, verse 35, indicates that it marked the third of the four watches. These four were as follows. Evening, 6 to 9. Midnight, 9 to 12. Rooster crowing. And 12 to 3, morning. And 3 to 6. So hence, what Jesus seems to mean here is 
is that before 3 a.m., Peter will deny him three times. That is, that the reference is to the second part of this 12 through 3 period is clear from Mark chapter 14, verse 30. But the mention of the crowing of the rooster refers not only to the time, but also to the actual crowing, which would indicate the time. Peter was actually going to hear this crowing. Truly, truly, I say to you, profound statement. You will deny me. You will deny me, Peter. To deny is not just saying, oh, I didn't do that. Disowning. Not disowning an object, a person. When push came to shove, Peter disowned Jesus Christ, denying Him. Not I'm unsure or grappling with, it is outright denial. More texts we could look at. Um, Luke 12, 9, He who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God, says the Lord. So Peter, as we consider the accounts, we'll just go to Matthew again. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. I'm not going to read all the accounts. If you're taking notes, which I encourage you to take notes, I encourage you to have your your Bibles with you as well. That's kind of a no-brainer when we come to church. Matthew chapter 26, 69 through 75. Mark chapter 14, 66 through 72. Luke chapter 22, 54 through 62. And John chapter 18, 25 through 27. Matthew is where we'll go. We'll look at, and I'll make some observations here. Matthew 26, 69 through 75. Now Peter was sitting outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You two were with Jesus the Galilean. This is after Jesus is in custody. They took him and seized him. But he denied it before them, all saying, I do not know what you are talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, surely you are too one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus said to him, Before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So some things to consider. And we won't go to all the other um, texts I mentioned just for time. Surprised, first off, by a servant girl, maybe 14, 15 years of age, says, hey, aren't you one of them? Denied it. Denies it simply, and then plays dumb. Verse uh, 69 through 70. <clears throat> uh, I, don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't know what you mean. 
Plain dumb. Denying it simply, plain dumb. Second denial, denies it with an oath. Okay, now we're really getting a serious, serious denial. Bad enough the first time. Give him a little grace. Show him a little, show him a little grace there. Okay, he was surprised by this young girl saying, hey, you're one of them. He's like, hey, I don't know what you're talking about. Second denial. Denies with an oath. As if he is saying, as God is my witness, I do not know the man. He had a Galilean accent. So, as she said, you even sound like them. Surely you're one of them. Third response, with cursing and swearing, is if he's not, as I've studied this out, he's not using a foul language as we would consider well, cursing and swearing. It's even worse than, than that. It's as if he's saying, may God condemn me if what I am saying is a lie. We look and we see how Peter denied Jesus three times right here. Just a little bit more and then outright with an oath and then with a curse on his own life. But then we look as well, and Peter was a disciple of Jesus Christ, a saved individual. We see how he responded immediately. When he realized, when he saw the look of Jesus, he wept bitterly. D.A. Carson says, Good intentions in a secure room after good food are far less attractive in a darkened garden with a hostile mob. So in a secure room after good food, as they were eating... It's, you could say a lot of things. But when there's a hostile mob with weapons hating the Christ whom you serve and you're with Him, you're going too. That's a different situation, is it not? Peter, a disciple of Jesus Christ, a prominent disciple, a saved man, a follower of Jesus, denies Jesus. How could this be? How could he do this? I think a bigger, bitter question, bigger question for us is, how could Jesus restore such a man? We are to compare and contrast Judas and Peter uh, as they are so closely in the text, we see them so closely together, the circumstances of the denials, Comparing and contrasting them, Judas, who did not know the Lord intimately, denied Jesus Christ, betrayed Him. And when he felt the condemnation, he expressed worldly sorrow and went out and committed suicide. Peter, on the other hand, knew Jesus Christ, was known by Christ, followed Christ truly. When he denied Christ, he wept bitterly and Jesus restored him after his resurrection they had some things in common they both spent three years under the instruction of Jesus they both witnessed miracles benefited from his company of being with Jesus 
Both men failed Christ, denied Him in the hour of great distress. Judas, excuse me, Jesus was troubled in spirit over the betrayal of Judas, who did not even know him. Imagine how he felt or what he was going through when one of his own betrayed him three times. Peter was close enough to Jesus when the the rooster crowed on the third denial that he could see the look as Jesus turned to look at Peter after the rooster crowed, Luke chapter 22, 61 and 62. Judas, as we compare and contrast, Judas was the recipient of a prophetic woe from the Lord. Woe to that man by whom he is, who he is betrayed. Peter, on the other hand, was a recipient of God's grace and restoration. In Luke twenty-two thirty-one, 31, Simon, Simon, Jesus says, Behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Once you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Peter was fallen but not forsaken. Peter fell and fell hard. What grave sin it is for a believer to deny Christ this way. Peter would not be forsaken. Why? Because it was God who began a good work in him and would complete it. Because Christ chose him in order to save him, not to leave him and forsake him. Peter, now saved, could never be lost. We see right here that Jesus says, you will follow me later. You will follow me, Peter, later. Satan would not necessarily use Peter's weak point, but his strength to woo him, tempt him, and it worked. Peter had courage at time, and he, at times, and his sword ready to throw down in the garden, but he lacked the meekness to see his own blind spot. So what do we learn from this? What are our takeaways from this? When we consider Peter, a saved man, denying Christ like he did three times, and Peter's response swiftly, it's not that Peter said these things about Christ, I do not know the man, and lived 10, 15 years out in the world, and then said, oh, I'm saved back then, and by the way, this happened swiftly, and he was restored swiftly. What do we learn from this, though? We learn the sorrow of sin and the marvelous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The sinfulness of sin and the marvelous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we consider Peter's sin and his failures, we remember that these are sins of a believer, a follower of Christ. Peter attempted to defend Jesus in the garden. The physical attempting with the sword, doing things Peter's way. 
Peter followed Jesus even to the courtyard. Close enough to see Jesus and to see that look when he heard the rooster crow. Peter had intentions to follow Jesus. He wanted to, he's trying to be faithful. He was completely taken by surprise, I would imagine, by the servant girl. The quick question of accusation. First off, what are you talking to me for, young lady? You know, that kind of thing. And then she's saying, hey, you're one of them. Not thinking that by any means someone would ask him such a question. Not, surely not a young lady. He responded with quick, fleshly self-preservation. Are we not prone to do the same? Or get defensive real quick? We walk around meek, and then someone engages us in a way we don't like, and we're ready to take off the gloves, so to speak. Not use the sword of the Spirit, but use the sword of our flesh. We understand such quick reactions. Yet many factors play into and make this his sin even more reprehensible. Peter denied Christ vehemently and repeatedly. Peter's denials of Christ was a poor model for the other disciples as well, as Peter was a, a leader. Peter denied Christ even though he was warned that he would do so. He said, no, I won't. You will. No, I won't. Never. No way. Not going to happen. He was confident in himself that it would never happen. Peter was reliant upon himself, losing his reliance upon Jesus Christ. Peter thought he could stand, but suffered a great fall. What is true of Peter can be true of any of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is indeed weak. Psalm 73, 26, my, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That we would meditate upon that, realizing my flesh, my heart may fail. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I must rely on Him and not myself. Jesus told Peter to watch and pray. Peter did neither watch and pray. Keep watching and praying so that you do not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we have helpers to help us when we are in temptation. We have the scripture, the Holy Spirit, and we have counsel of one another. Listen to a quote from Daniel Doriani from his commentary. Peter shows us how to believe in Jesus and how to resolve to live for him and yet how to fall on our face as well. It would be tragic except for the mercy of Jesus 
that triumphs after Peter's fall. The marvelous grace of Jesus Christ shown in His restoration of Peter. Judas sinned out of malice. Peter, on the other hand, sinned out of weakness. Judas sinned out of malice. Peter, on the other hand, sinned out of weakness. And when Peter realized his sin, he responded with God-wrought sorrow of heart and wept bitterly over his sin. His heart was pierced by the Spirit of God and he repented. Jesus fully restored Peter. Reinstated him to his calling and give him, gave him the command to feed his sheep. And God is still in the business of restoring people. Just as He restored Peter. Individuals, couples, families, churches. Restoration. Biblical, spiritual restoration. Peter did not deserve to be restored. He did not deserve to be reinstated. And neither would you or would I. But he was, by the marvelous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever you are today, are you like Peter in some ways? If you're like Peter in some ways and you realize it this morning, it's time to come back to Christ at this moment, at this time. It's time to confess that sin and repent of it even now. Perhaps some in here are like Judas, not even knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Christ today. Turn from your sin that God hates. Turn to His Son, Jesus Christ. Repent and believe the Gospel. There's a hymn, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. There was two names written by the hymnal, Julia Johnson and Daniel Towner, I believe it is. I took the liberty of writing some of these down, the lyrics down, not to sing to you this morning. I would not do that to you to end a sermon. Praise God, He, is with, he has held my voice during this time. Praise the Lord. So His Word could go forth. <clears throat> Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Sin and despair like the sea waves cold threatened the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace freely bestowed on all who believe, all who are longing to see His face, will you this moment His grace receive? Let's pray. Father, thank You that You have shown us Your kindness, marvelous grace and mercy. 
Thank You that we can learn from Your Word this morning about Peter trusting in his own strength, vehemently trusting in himself, saying he would not do something, would not deny you, would not sin against you in such a way, yet he fell. And how great was that fall. Yet we see your grace and your mercy as you restored him. You hold on to him. You held him. You forgave him. And the same is for us who come to you, Lord. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. We are undeserving, yet you shower upon us your grace anyway. Oh, indeed, that you would shower upon your grace upon the soul in here who would seek to repent and trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior this moment at this time, O Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.